Praise the Lord. I'm glad it's not a secret. Can you imagine if you had to be a part of a special club to know? And, uh, and yet there's many that don't know, maybe even in our own community that don't know. Thankful, thankful that we don't have to keep it a secret. Glad that we can share it. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, and then put your finger there and turn with me back to, to Matthew chapter 6. Luke chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 6. I have, I've missed you all. Missed, uh, missed preaching in my home church and uh, excited to be home. And uh, got so excited about it that, um, that I decided that we had to have a real long sermon to start. And uh, I got th- thinking about it, and it looks like, looks like in order to preach the, the sermon I had, that it was going to take me about five hours. <laughs> see how excited I was to see you? You all don't sound too excited to hear that. <laughs> so here's the good news. Your pastor's not sadistic or anything. He broke it up into five five uh, sermons, and we're going we're gonna to be starting a series here. And uh, so I thought I'd at least hear some sighs of relief, if not some amens there. But <laughs> See, I, been, I've been in some, uh, of course, being away, change of environment, even though it wasn't really a vacation because we were preaching and so forth. Um, sometimes change of, of pace, change of environment can... Uh, just to help us, and, and uh, felt like the Lord has been leading sometime uh, in, during the while I was away about this series, and uh, really, really, I I'm, I don't know real what to how to explain it. I guess that that's why I guess why I'm stumbling over my words a little bit. I guess I'd call it. Uh, a study, uh, a kindergarten study into prayer, a kindergarten study into prayer. Now, some of you may may feel like this is great, uh, higher than kindergarten, um, and maybe it is. Uh, but it it feels it feels so um, so small. I've, you know, I think of the great works by E.M. Bounds on prayer, and uh, I read a sermon this week by Catherine Booth on prayer. Tell you what, that'll put you under conviction. Catherine Booth was she didn't fool around when she preached, um, and uh, I don't know. I don't know that. I don't. I, I. I guess why I'm calling it kindergarten level of prayers because when I when I consider all that's out there, I realize that this is this is just really an introduction to prayer, and. Uh, and maybe you say, "Why do we need an introduction to prayer? We're all, we're Christians. We're we're, we're prayers." Uh, well, sometimes sometimes it's good to go over the basics and the fundamentals. Sometimes that w- as we get um, as we get older, as we get uh, more experienced, we let the fundamentals go. Um, I've heard it said of athletes um, that as they as they get better and better, they try doing fancier things and so forth, and they let their fundamentals go, and, 
and it affects how well they play, and the coach has to start them all over with little league practice drills. And uh, I'm not suggesting this morning that you need a kindergarten uh, refresher and prayer. Uh, I'm suggesting that I need one, that I need one. So I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word, Luke chapter 11. And I just want to read verse 1. Um, these are both the Lord's Prayer. Uh, one's Luke's version and the other's Matthew's. Luke's is a little shorter and, I wanted, and Matthew's a little more organized and so I wanted his. But I wanted to give the context of what I believe was the first time. Luke gives us the gives us a, a little different scenario. Matthew is within the Sermon on the Mount. And I, and I believe that these are two different um, occasions that Luke is referring to, to an occasion where the disciples are in conversation with him and Matthew is giving us the sermon in which Jesus then relays this to the people. And so, but I want to give the context for the, how I believe it came up. Luke chapter 11, verse 1, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, that he ceased. One of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And really, I believe that's the text for this series. Lord, teach us to pray. And then flipping over to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, and I'm sure most of you have this memorized. We see that Jesus says, After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into, uh, into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lord, help me not to take something that is so simple and beautiful and make it complicated. Give me wisdom and direction as, as we try to, to share what I believe is your heart for your people, that we would all be people of prayer. And Lord, that we would pray as we ought, for we need your help. In your precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As I think about prayer, I realize that it's something that, as Christians, I think we kind of just take for granted a little bit. I told you that I had a chance to pray with a, a young lady, and and she and her words were, "I don't know how to pray." She had no concept, no understanding of how to get saved. She had no idea of confessing of her sins. She had she had no understanding at all of prayer. And and I thought, oh, how something that I do all all the time, praying without ceasing. Something that that's become a natural. In fact. Um, one author says that we should, our thoughts of prayer should be more frequent than the breaths we take. Wow. I haven't arrived there yet, but I do try to be in a, in a state of prayer at all times. 
But I was thinking about how it is easy for us that, at least for me, that, that we can get caught up in our, I don't know how to say it, but, but really kind of our routine, our rituals. And, uh, you know, we, we have a certain ways that we pray, and, and certainly we don't, you know, we're not like some who write out their prayers, and I don't know that writing out a prayer is a bad thing. I, uh, um, I, I'm not sure that that's as bad as some has made it out to be, but we have kind of just kind of have our way of praying, don't we? And uh, it's easy for us to go down our prayer list and, and, and make our, our petitions known, and God wants us to do that. But it seems to me that as I've studied history and as I look at, at, at those that have been considered great prayer warriors, that there's something different they had than what most of us have. There seems to be those that have a special connection with God, some that, that just seems like God just answers their prayers, they're able to move heaven and earth together. And, uh, you know, I just... If I was just honest with you this, this morning, I want more of that. I want more of that. I want God's presence in our services as the norm and not the unusual. I want God's presence in my prayer time as the norm. And I understand we go through dry spells, and I understand that, that there are reasons that God sometimes hides himself from us but I'm just being honest this, this morning. I want my prayers to be more effective. I want them to be meaningful. And that's why I'm headed back to kindergarten. Headed back to the very foundations. Jesus is, I love how Luke tells it, and I, that's why I had to pick it up. I, I, I just love this picture. Jesus is, is praying in a certain place. doesn't tell us where. It doesn't matter. Jesus is just praying. And Jesus gets done. And his disciples come to him and say, Master, would you teach us to pray like that? Will you teach us to pray like that? And I, I have to be honest. I can't. I can't remember anyone ever saying to me, could you teach me to pray the way you do? John's, John did. I mean, we can say, well, you're not Jesus, and certainly I'm, I'm not trying to compare myself, but John the Baptist taught his disciples how to pray. And as parents, grandparents, we should be teaching our children and our grandchildren how to pray. But do we teach them how to pray? I think we teach them to pray. I think we're really good at that. I think we're really, we're really strong in telling people, you need to pray. And we make it a, so, so much of a part of our services. Sometimes, sometimes I kind of chuckle about how many times we pray in a given service. We, I mean, we, we pray, what, how many times did we pray today? We opened in prayer. We had a time of prayer, we prayed for the offering, and I prayed for the sermon. We prayed four times, and we're not even an hour into the service. And that's not a bad thing. I'm not criticizing that. 
I think it's important that we, we continually remember our dependence on God. But we've had four prayers in 45 minutes. We are really big on we're supposed to pray, but do we teach how to pray? And Jesus tells us, he tells us, this is the way you're supposed to pray. And we memorize it, and we have our children memorize it. And if you're Catholic, this is part of your daily prayers. You pray this every day. And some churches, is at the end of the closed Sunday school, they pray this prayer at the end of their Sunday school. I'm not saying we should or shouldn't do that. That's not, that's not the point of this, this message about how often we should repeat this. I think it's a good prayer to pray for ourselves. I think it is something that should be a part of our, our devotional life. And I'm, I don't know, I'm not necessarily saying every day, but, but certainly I think there's, there's power in praying Jesus' words. But as, I, as I'm studying this prayer, I realize that there are five R's. You know, in school, there's the three R's, the reading, writing, and arithmetic. And I don't know who came up with that because arithmetic doesn't start with R. Whoever did it would probably didn't pass kindergarten. <laughs> but whoever it is, whatever it is, these are the five R's. And so it's kind of, again, why I just feel like this is kindergarten level. Jesus, and this is really my prayer for this series, is that Jesus will teach us to pray. That it won't be me teaching you to pray or how to pray, but that, will, that we will spend so much time with the Lord in, in these five weeks. And I understand some are going to miss because of McPherson camp. I know Independence camp is going to come and break it up. And I just kind of checked in with the Lord. Is this the right timing? And, and I felt like it was. And so if you're going to miss, uh, hopefully you'll catch it on the on the internet. That's one of the great things about what we have. And, and hopefully that during this time that God will, will really just help us to learn how to pray. So Jesus' prayer, he tells us, pray this way. He says, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Wow. You and I, we can't understand how, how impressive this is. Jesus is calling us to relationship with God. That's the first R, relationship with God. This is the call. This is the invitation. Let us have a relationship with God where He is our Father and we are His children. And the reason that this is so mind-blowing for, for the people that are hearing him is never in the Old Testament does an individual get to call God Father. Now certainly there's the prayer in Isaiah and there's a, a prayer I believe also in Jeremiah that refers to God as Father, but it's usually either referring to God in uh, the fatherly role of, of the nation, he's the father of the nation, or that he is the uh, father creator but never this intimate relationship that Jesus is introducing the people to. This is, this is amazing. Jesus is coming on the scene, and he's saying to you, and he's saying to me, listen, you've worshipped God by, by his many names. You know I am that I am. You know all the, 
the Jehovah uh, and and whatever the last part is, the Jehovah Jireh and and uh, Jehovah Shalom and and all these other pieces of uh, of names that would go on at the end of Jehovah. We you've worshipped him by those names. You've you've worshipped him uh, by uh, Elohim, the great powerful God. You've you've worshipped him under uh, several names throughout the Old Testament. But here is what I want you to address God as. I want you to address him as your father. Wow. Wow. When I think about that, and I think that God wants to have a relationship with me, it just kind of marvels. Just kind of marvels. I just, I just have to just say, you know, why? Why? I mean, some of us are pickier than others about who our friends are. Some of us, you know, I mean, it could be a challenge even just putting up with the people here at church, let alone other people. I mean, come on. Some of us are really picky, and then all the rest of us, we don't care who our friends are, and we've never met a stranger. And yet, God says, you know what? I don't want to just be some powerful being in your life that, that you're terrified of. I want you to love me. Love you? You know, I'm, I'm afraid that in our prayers so oftentimes, you know, we, we say the words and they don't mean anything to us. We just say things like, you know, our dear, gracious, heavenly Father, and none of those words mean anything. We're just kind of, they're rote. And we, and we pray the Lord's Prayer, our Father, and we just, and it's just, we go on through and not realizing Abraham never got to call God Father. Isaac, Jacob, never got to call God Father. David never got to call God Father, even though he was a man after God's own heart. And God's saying to you and to me, you can call me Father. You can call me Abba. And you know, it's, it's really too bad that we've translated it Father, because it really isn't. It's it's. it's it, it, and of course, we know it's Abba. And some have said, well, that really means daddy, but really it doesn't. See, Abba is, is really easy for a baby to say. And so it really translates better. In just a few months, Bryson will, will be saying, Dada. Dada. It's much, much closer to dada than to daddy or father. It is the simplest form that even a baby is able to pronounce. And what God is saying to us is, not only does he want to have this incredible relationship with us, but he wants it to be easy for us to get there. It's easy for us to get there.
That's not a dignified prayer. It's not that, you know, and, and please, I'm not trying to be critical, but, you know, you call, someone gets called on to pray at camp and you, and you can hear it. It becomes a professional prayer. Our dear, gracious, heavenly Father, we come to you without... What? I don't think that's how Jesus prayed. I'm not being critical. I, I understand there's pressure when we're, on, we're performing prayer. And so I, I'm not trying to be critical of that. In fact, I, I know that it can be difficult when you're called on to pray because, one, we pastors, we don't give you a heads up. And two, I mean, people are listening to you. But God is, God is saying to us, listen, I, I don't need you to have a ritual. I don't need for you to, to be in the right place or in the, you know, in the right position. You don't have to be kneeling or, or all that stuff. Jesus isn't giving all that. He says the most important thing isn't, your, it isn't all of that stuff. It is that I'm easy to approach. That I am available to you as your data. It almost sounds blasphemous to say data, doesn't it? It almost, it, 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 to us, it almost, oh, where's the reverence, preacher? Where, where's the carefulness? But it's exactly what Jesus is trying to teach us and trying to help us to get an understanding of. You ever see a father with an infant? He's got all the power in the world. He's so strong. He's able to crush that child. He's able to, he, I mean, that, that father has absolute power and control over that child, and yet that strength is under control. And that father cradles and, and protects and holds on to that child. And God is saying, listen, I want you to understand you are like an infant in my arms, held close to my heart, protected, loved. And though I have all this power, it's under control, and it'll be used for your protection. I just think, wow, we miss it. We miss it when we come to God in this ritualistic. And I'm not saying rituals are, rituals are necessarily bad. Rituals can be good. But when we lose the heart of the ritual, when we lose the meaning behind the words that we say, God invites us to himself. Our Father. And then Jesus tells us, not only is it our Father, but he says, which art in heaven. And what's interesting is, is Jesus repeatedly uses this phrase. Our Father, which art in heaven. Now, what's interesting is, is that every prayer that's recorded by, by Christ in the Gospels, always Jesus refers to God as his Father. Over 60 times. In fact, 167 times in the Gospels is God referred to as a father. Hardly ever in the, in the Old Testament, I think it's the numbers like 14 times that God is referred to as father in the Old Testament, 
And again, usually as father of the nation, usually more global, not as an individual, not in a relationship. And here in the Gospels, 167. I think Jesus is trying to teach us something. But why does he keep saying in heaven? Don't we know that, that God's in heaven? I believe this is about perspective. You know, have you ever been in a traffic jam? It's miserable, isn't it? We got in some traffic jams on our trip, and, and I, I understand construction's a necessary evil, but ay ay ay, wish they could do it when I'm not having to travel through. <laughs> they, for some reason, they don't, make, they don't make their construction plans around my travel plans. But you get in a traffic jam, and, and we don't know what's going on up, up ahead. Whether it's construction, we've seen car accidents, we, uh, different traffic jams are caused by different things, and, and we don't know how long the traffic jam is going to take to get through. We don't know what the problem is. We don't have any information whatsoever. And maybe, we didn't see this, but maybe someone, you know, from one of the radio stations Send the helicopter out. <laughs> and do you know what they have? They have perspective. They know how long the traffic jam is. They know what's causing the traffic jam. They know about how long it's going to take for us to get through if, they're, if there's totally stopped completely. And you turn on the radio, and it's amazing the information that they have. Expect a 15-minute delay on your way to work this morning if you're traveling on I-81. How do they know exactly how long it is? Perspective. All the things that you don't know sitting in the car in the middle of the traffic jam, all the things you don't know, the person in the air knows all the details that we don't know. And you know, often in life, we go through life not knowing the details. We don't know what's up ahead. We don't know the, the battles. We don't know the trials. We don't know the blessings. And sometimes you get a crazy situation, that a phone call, and it changes your whole direction. And you're just like, oh. Trish and I have a... We have a song. No, it's not a love song. We have one of those too. But we have a we have a, a life song. I will trust you, Lord, by the McCamies. And every time we go through something difficult, one of the other one of us usually either puts the song on or refers to it. And then part of that song it says, When the journey takes a detour unexpectedly. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes we're traveling along, we're minding God, we're, we're, we're right in the center of God's will, if, and, and, and everything seems to be doing okay, maybe not great or fantastic, and all of a sudden, detour sign, and we're down in an exit, and we're in a place we didn't want to be, in a place we don't know how to get out of, and we don't know how to get back to where we, to where we hope to be. And unexpectedly, the journey takes a detour. And you know, it's easy for us to be frustrated. And it's easy for us to be disappointed. 
And it's easy for us to, to wonder why, and I'm not saying it's wrong to wonder why or, or even to feel those things, but, but when we pray, Jesus says, remember to pray, our Father which art in heaven, the one who has perspective of the whole journey, of what we're going through and, and knows what lies ahead. And if it wasn't for that detour, who knows what we were, where we would have been ended up. It helps us in this relationship. Jesus is just reminding us to trust. He's in heaven and we're here. He's, he's in control and, and we're not. He's the one that knows the end from the beginning and sometimes I don't even know the beginning. I don't know how I got where I did. Sometimes I don't even know what's going on in the present. And yet he knows all of that. And Jesus, when he's teaching us to pray, he's saying, listen, when you pray, not only is it about knowing who God is and that he wants to have a relationship with us, but it's about understanding that God's perspective, that he sees it all. And we can trust him. We can trust him. And finally, he tells us in this first section, hallowed be thy name. What does it mean to pray that? What does it mean to pray, hallowed be thy name? Is, are we asking God to be more holy than he already is? That's not a possibility. That can't be it. Are we asking for God's name to be holy that we're praying against people blaspheming his name? I don't think so. You see, a name is the revelation of oneself. It's how we reveal who we are. It's the very first step in an in, in introduction. When you meet someone for the first time, typically you put out your hand and say, hello, my name is, and we shake hands and they tell us their name. It's the very beginning of the revelation of who someone is. It's important. Newlyweds, the bride changes her name. And what is she saying? She says, I'm changing who I am. I'm changing my family loyalties. I'm changing, I'm changing to a new loyalty. That's powerful. And it's meaningful. And when we pray for God's name to be holy, I believe this, that God is, Jesus is trying to teach us to see the revelation of God everywhere around us. We have this tendency to separate the holy and the normal, the spiritual and the physical. We, we keep trying to, to make a, a, some kind of, of uh, separation between the two, but, but this is not how God intended it. When God created the angels, they are entirely spiritual beings. I don't understand it. They seem to be able to take physical form from time to time, but they are spiritual beings. They, they exist in the spiritual realm. When God created animals, he created them to be in the physical realm. 
But when he created man, he did something incredible. He took the dust of the earth and he formed and he fashioned us. And so we are physical being. But then he breathed into us a living soul. And so we became a both and. It's no wonder the devil hates us. We are mutants. We are neither physical or spiritual. We are both and. And here's what God wants us to see. He wants us to see that everything should be holy. That, that the, the springtime and the flowers, and, and that's holy because it's God revealing himself to us. The sunsets and the sunrises are God's revelation to us. They are holy. That, and here's what's great. When we get to Independence Camp and we have the, the youth camp service, do you know what they'll say? I, I can almost, I, it's, it's, without fail, they always say this. It's not just about the softball and the volleyball, but it's about what God did in the services. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? They all, it's like they're programmed. If they don't say that, somehow they're going to hell or something. Here's, what I, here's what's important. The same thing could be said. It's not all about just the services. I believe the reason that we see so many great moves of God at our youth camps is because it is the one place where the spiritual and the physical become one. It is a true revelation of who God created us to be. When we make it all about the spiritual and not about the physical, we are denying what God created. We are denying the dust. God designed us to be in this world. If we make it all about the, the playing the games and so forth, we're denying the spiritual. And when we go to camp, uh, independence camp, we're going to need to have the physical and the spiritual. We're going to, to need to have conversations. Because some of you, that's all the physical you're capable of, and that's all right. The kids need to hit the, the ball field, and we need to have good services. There needs to be a both and. God created us physical and spiritual beings. We're both and. And here's the problem. It is heresy to deny the one to the exclusion of one. Gnosticism is the denying of the body, denying of earthly uh, desires. That John writes his three epistles, he's constantly writing against Gnosticism. Quit denying the physical. Jesus came in a physical body. Don't deny yourself food. Don't deny yourself physical intimacy with your spouse, even though there are so many who have preached against it throughout history. Do not do that. God has designed us as holy beings. And when we do those things, when we hug our children, when we kiss our spouse, we are acting as holy beings as under the Lord, the revelation of God, the gifts of God in us. And this is what Jesus is trying to help us to understand, I believe, is that when we are praying, Lord, help us to see your holiness all around us. Help us to see the revelation of yourself in all the, everywhere we look. 
When we see this church building, is it holy? It's holy because we have built this as a sacred place, but because, also because we have built it well. This is intended to last for generations. As a beacon of light, we don't build shoddy buildings because we're building them as unto the Lord. When we go into our jobs and our places of work, we do a good job. We work hard and we do it because we are doing it as unto the Lord. Our work is holy. Even if all you're doing is making boots, even if what you're doing doesn't feel like it's a great and wonderful thing, I want you to know the work that you do is holy as unto the Lord. God is revealing himself in it. Work is not part of the curse. God gave work to Adam and Eve there in the garden. All these are gifts to us as revelations of who God is. God said, go and create. Go and expand the garden and have dominion over it. Make it bigger. Make it better. Improve it. Push its boundaries. And every time we, we do anything for God's glory, it is holy. And it's a revelation of who God is. And God is saying, I want you to have such a relationship with me that you can see me where I am. And God is everywhere. God is everywhere. He's in the drunk. God has given him a living soul. And God is saying to us, see him as, as I see him. Love him as I love him. He's, he's in that politician you don't like. He's everywhere. And we get so caught up, we see God only in these little boxes that we try to put him in. He's only at church. He's only in our devotions. He's only, and we keep boxing him in. And Jesus says, wait a minute. Holy is the revelation of who God is. And where we see him, it is holy. And where he is, is everywhere. Am I saying there aren't things that are, that are profane? Yes, there are things that are profane, absolutely. There are things that are sin, there are things that are wrong. But even in the midst of those sins, God is present. And God has, has given that individual grace to have time for repentance. And even in the midst of their sin, God is still holy. And it's a revelation. We see it. God is holy. He didn't strike them down in the midst of their sin. Oh, what a beautiful thing. That we could see God everywhere. The first R of Prayer is relationship with God. There's a story, it's a Roman story, of how an emperor was marching through the streets in victory. Soldiers were behind him, the, the slaves, the captured peoples behind them, the crowds cheering in the streets. So exciting. And a little boy ran out to see the emperor. A centurion stopped him and said, Son, you can't do, 
run out here like that. Do you know who that is? That is the emperor. And the boy laughed. He says, he's your emperor, but he's my father. And if we could just get a hold of it and understand, he's not just the king of kings and the lord of lords. He is that. He's not just the mighty Elohim. He's not just the one who reigns from on high, but he's the God who is intently and interested in our lives. I, I, I just have a, I recently had a friend who's, who's far from God, but he used to be a Christian, and this is what he says. He says, I believe God is there, but he's uninterested and not helping. I want you to know that couldn't be further from the truth. God is interested He's so interested. He's adopted us into his family and he calls us son. He calls us daughter. And oh, when we go to the place of prayer, the first, the first R, the first, the first fundamental of prayer is that it's, a, it's supposed to be about relationship. About relationship. Let's stand together. Alex, would you dismiss us in prayer?